Okay, Mark chapter 3, and we were identifying the um, apostles and um, the uh, really kind of the order here. And uh, so back up in uh, Mark 3 here, verse uh, 13 down to 19 is kind of where we were. And I just wanted to kind of go back over uh, this list here. Uh, verse 13, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And, and again, he ordained them. In Matthew 10, they're called disciples, and then as soon as he ordains them, gives them the power to heal sickness and to cast out devils, they now are apostles. And those two great signs of the kingdom, healing the sick and casting out the devils, again, Luke 8, verse 1, where, where the Lord is preaching and showing. And those, that issues of the miracles backing up the uh, commandment, uh, the, the message that the Lord was doing. And then if you look there at verse 16, and Simon he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boandres which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. And we were talking last time with the issue of, uh, come over to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. We were discussing the order of these guys and so forth. And, and in Matthew 10, uh, really Matthew 10 is the Great Commission. Um, usually you go to Matthew 28 and you go to Mark 16 and Luke 24 and Acts 1. And everybody says, oh, those are the Great Commissions. And really they're not. They are uh, post-sub-commissions uh, after the resurrection as far as what they're going to be doing during the tribulation, what they're going to be doing in the early Acts period, what they're going to be doing in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, the thousand years there. And that term, the Great Commission, really started in the 1800s by missionaries coming back from China and India that were looking to raise money in the United States and in Britain. So they kind of got a term going because whenever you hear the Great Commission, that term, usually missions are real close in the conversation and, and it's a fascinating thing uh, right now in Christianity there's a big push for missionaries uh, once again uh, and it's I, so if they're pushing then that means that they don't they're losing people and unfortunately the world is uh, no longer as safe as it used to be for uh, that case again I was it in Haiti or some I'm sorry Haiti, yeah, they had all the, you know, 16 missionaries and all that stuff kidnapped and everything, and you know that. But that's never, that's nothing new. Solomon Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It's just now we know about it a little bit more 24/70 than uh, once a week in the newspaper. But if you look in Matthew 10, he he identifies them. Verse 2, the name of the 12 apostles are these: the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, 
Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. By the way, chapter 10 is the Great Commission. It starts where we're at in Matthew th Mark 3, and it's going to carry them all the way out through the Acts period. If you look there at verse number uh, 19, but when they delivered up, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And that issue of the Holy Spirit in them, that's Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Then you come to verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee into another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. There's the second coming. So really Matthew 10 is going to take them from the beginning all the way out. Now the names and their identification are, are different. And there are three groups of four, three groups of four, okay? And Peter, so Matthew 10, Peter is listed first in Mark 3 Peter is listed first in Luke 6 Peter is first and then in Acts 1 Peter is first then what happens in Matt in Matthew now you have Andrew James and John. But in Mark, you have Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew. By the way, Peter's always first. Judas Iscariot is always last. Okay? Then in Luke 6, you have Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then in Acts 1, you have Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So we've got these names kind of mixed up in different orders. By the way, that's group 1. Group 2, it starts with Philip, okay, all the way across, and then it goes Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, and then in Mark, it's Philip, and then it goes Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, <laughs> okay, and then Luke matches Mark, all right, and then Acts says Thomas after Philip, We've got Philip in there first, then Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, so now you got them in different order, and then the third group is James is the first guy, the son of 
uh, Alpheus, and then you have Labias, uh, and then you have Simon, and then you have Judas Iscariot. Here you've got Thad after James, and then Simon, and then Judas Iscariot. Now, Thaddeus and Labias, they're the same guy, okay? Then over here, you, uh, again, you have James, and then you have Simon, Judas, son of James, and then you have Judas Iscariot. Then over here, you have, uh, oh, sorry, James. This should have been James. You can read all this. Then you have Simon, Judi Judas of James, and then you have Matthias, in the book of Acts because Judas Iscariot is no longer around. So you get all these squirrely, and again, the top four guys is who we're going to look at. The rest of these guys, a different order, is just really in a rank and so forth. And you have to remember, each gospel is presenting the Lord in one of those four prophetic utter, uh, behold statements. And in Matthew... The brothers are together, brother, brother, because as the king, which is what Matthew depicts him as, he's looking at heritage, genealogy. Luke has them together. He depicts the Lord as man, and what do we want to know? Again, genealogy and so forth, where Mark and Peter are going to do these guys by, I'm sorry, Acts, by surname. Mark, he's the servant. By the way, you'll notice John is not listed. John does not list the, the apostles. John, the gospel of John, depicts the Lord as who he is, the Son of God. And then Acts has no depiction of the Lord actually it becomes the, the ministry, the earthly ministry of the little flock as they are going out. So when you think about this, the names, the, the, Peter's always the leader. Judas Iscariot is always the traitor. So Peter and Philip and James are the three, you know, grouping guys. And again, they get into different, uh, come back there to Mark 3. Um, they get into those different issues where... Um, of rank and things that are going on and so forth. But in Mark 3, verse 16, you see in Simon, he surnamed Peter. And then James and John, they're surnamed uh, Bonangerines there, which is the sons of thunder. And that issue of the surname is why they're grouped the way they are. Because the surnames, they, Peter has a surname. And it's critical to, to see that the, in a surname, the Lord changes his name because, and gives him a special name because here's who he's going to be in ministry, okay? Mark, the servant, who do we want to know about ministry, activity, actions. Acts, here's who they're going to be in, in uh, service, in, their, in that activity that they're going to carry out in the absence of 
the Lord. The Lord's going to ascend, Acts 1. He's gone. Now the little flock, the leaders in the little flock, that 120, they're going to go, and they're going to start pressing the same message, but repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they're going to press that on down through. So Peter, he's got a surname. Uh, Look over with me at John 1. John chapter 1. So you have Peter's surname, when he starts here, it's Simon. He's actually Simon Peter. Um, uh, John 1 verse, well, let's see, verse 39. Uh, he saith unto them, come and see. Uh, the one speaking here is John the Baptist. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Jesus, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where, uh, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, so you, you've got Andrew and Simon here. Uh, Verse 41, And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which being by interpretation is the stone. So he's going to be called Cephas. All right? And which being interpreted is called the stone. Now, again, here's Christ. He beheld him. When he, fir- when he first meets Peter, he, beha- he reads him. He, he looks beyond just, hey, how you doing? There, there's something going on here now where you have Simon. He's, he's here. Uh, Verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, they've, Peter, or Andrew and Peter, they've come, they've been hearing John, verse 40, one of the two which heard John. So they've heard John the Baptist, they've, they've obviously are believers, they're part of, they're part of that believing element within the nation, And he's going to call him now Cephas. Now, this is at the first meeting of the Lord with Peter. He hasn't looked at Peter and said, follow me yet. He just looks at Peter, and he gives a prophetic promise here of, you know what, your name's going to be Cephas, you know. I'm sorry, I think about Bo Cephas and, you know, uh, Hank Williams Jr. and stuff. But anyway... So he's, he looks at him and says, hey, look, you're going to be called this in the future. Not right now, but in the future. You know, Paul in Galatians 2, he says what? Cephas, James, and John gave me the right hand of fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul will say of those four sects that uh, come in and disrupt the local assembly, some will follow Cephas, some Apollos, some Christ, and some me. So Cephas here uh, is actually going to be a, a name that's, uh, it's an Aramaic name. Aramaic is, is the language of the common people. 
Hebrew is spoken, Greek is spoken, Latin, but Aramaic as well. And, you know, when you talk about, you start moving names around from language to language, Cephas is an Aramaic name that means stone, but if you think about Petros, the Greek word, that means stone, but when you move Petros into English, what is it? Peter. So you get this kind of a thing going on. Uh, Aramaic is really the Hebrew language of the Lord's day. Actually, it's the common language in the nation in Israel because of the Babylonian captivity. They had learned to speak. They were speaking Hebrew all along, yet the language kind of was, you know how we have that splanglish, you know, the span, it kind of mingles in and everything kind of begins to rub together, and that's literally what's going on. So Cephas here, John 1 is the prediction. I, I just noticed something. We did this when we studied, John. If you look at verse 29, the next day, so from verse 19 to 28 is day 1. The next day starts on verse 29 and runs down through verse 32. Day, I'm sorry, down, yeah, verse 32. And John bear record saying, and there you have that. Day 3, if, run, if you look down at verse 43, the day following, then you come over to, so you got four days in John 1 that happened. Boom, boom, boom. Then uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and the third day there was a marriage. So you've got third day. If you think about the third day in Scripture, that day of resurrection and so forth, and that's where it is. So Peter here, he's really standing on, and by the way, what happened on the third day when the Lord rose? What was rolled away? The stone was rolled away. So you've got all of these little intricate little things in 1 Peter 2. He says to the little flock, you are lively stones. So you've got all of this little stuff moving around so you got four days in chapter one then the third day so you got seven days happens in on the marriage of cana there so the first miracle that the lord performs is this turning the water to wine issue and so forth and it's really a picture of the coming kingdom reign and restoration of uh, of the joy and the blessedness to the nation of israel so you got a lot going on kind of wrapped up in all of this. So come back over to Matthew 16. So I just want to spend the evening looking at these surnames because James and John, they're going to be called the sons of thunder. And there's an issue here, and I do this over here because I wrote too much in there. But when you think about these surnames, the picture in Mark 3, the reason they're in this order in Mark 3 has to do with the issue of their service, their, their activity. Because in Mark, it's immediately, and, boom, boom, boom. It's not a, well, here's all of this extra detail. You get that in Matthew and Luke. In Mark, it's, and when we started Mark, I told you, it's more of a chronological I issue of the event. The flowery stuff is in Matthew and in Luke because, again, we want to hear what the king says, and we want to know how he felt. Here, we want to know what he did. Here in John, we know he's the son of God, so we're good with the, who he is. 
And then again in Acts, you got to carry on with the little flock. But notice Matthew 16. Matthew 16 here, starting verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. Jesus Christ is going to talk to the disciples. And when Jesus came into the coast of, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Now, notice Peter's answer. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Notice, he's the Simon Bar-Jonah, and that name Bar-Jonah is really just the son of Jonah. That's, what he's, that's who he is. Uh, his, uh, his dad's his name is Jonah, and that's who he, he's the son of Jonah. So how did Peter know to say, Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God? Well, the, God the Father told him that. And think about this he's been listening to john the baptist talk teach he's been listening to the word of god being preached he saw in in john one there the baptism he saw the dove he's he listened he was present there when john the baptist and then through the lord jesus christ himself because we're in matthew 16 so he's heard the word of the Father through John. He's word, heard the word of the Father through the Lord. He was revealed. So the Father has, through the word, revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He heard it, and he got it. Now watch verse 18. And I say, what? Also... Now the Lord is going to add something to what the Father revealed to Peter. So here's some information beyond. Peter, you got that? The Father revealed this. Now I'm going to give you something more also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter now, he's going to be called what? He's going to be called the rock, isn't he? The stone, Cephas. That's who he is now. He, he's carrying a name here that's going to be given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, and what literally is going to happen here is upon this rock I will build my church. But notice how the verse reads, because this, this is where the Roman Catholics and, and most of Christendom kind of get all this jumbled up. By the way, the Roman Catholic Church in the Aramaic, the Peter there, is one letter off of the word rock. 
So they just drop the letter and keep it the rock. So he's the rock that we built everything on. But notice how the verse reads, that, I will that, that thou art Peter, and upon what? This rock. Well, who's the rock? Everybody will say Peter, but look over with me at, at uh, 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Just kind of help you with this. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 4. Paul says, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock which, which, uh, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Deuteronomy 32, talking to the nation of Israel, the Song of Moses there, he says, they're of the, they're, they got that little rock, they got that rock with the little r, you don't forget the rock with the big r. Uh, you come over to... Um, 1 Peter 2, I think it is. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, um, well, verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. There's that living stone. Verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed. See that? The builders, that's the leaders in Israel. What they do to Christ? will have no king but Caesar. They ignore, they reject him. The same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So in Matthew 16, when when the Lord looks at Peter, he's doing something very special here. The rock isn't Peter. The rock is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18. And upon this rock I will build my church. So the issue here isn't, Peter, you're the head guy. Well, Peter is going to be the head guy. That's why in verse 19 he gets the keys to the kingdom, and he gets this special authority as who he is. But notice, Christ here, who is he? Verse 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who he is. So whose church is he, Jesus Christ, building? He's building the Messiah church, if you will, okay? He... Again, how do you know? Because he's Christ, the son of the living God. So he's literally building the, me the messianic church. Okay. Now, again, if you think about, we have the Mosaic law, the old covenant. But in the new covenant, what do we have? It's called the messianic law. Mosaic, if and then, messianic, I done it for you. It's got a grace component to it. So when you think here about him building, he's, Pete, you're going to be called Peter. And upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will build my church, the Messiah's church. 
Because who is Christ? He's the son of the living God. He's the son of God. He's the son of the living God. That's who he is. Now, if you look there at verse 19, I will give unto thee, that's Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou, again, Peter, shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter's going to be the head guy building this church on the foundation of who Christ is. Now what happens is, is everybody says, well, Peter's the rock. Peter's the guy. The problem is, look at verse 23. If we're building on Peter, what happens in verse 23? But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. <laughs> For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What, what is Peter? Peter's just a guy. He's just a regular human. <laughs> you know? So you're going to have trouble. If he's the rock, he's an unworthy rock. But Jesus, and by the way, Christ is identifying him here as Satan's spokesman as they get going. It's not a good deal. But Peter gets surnamed, Simon Peter, he gets the Cephas, the rock, the stone. He gets surnamed that because he's going to be the leader. He gets the keys of the kingdom. Now, if you have keys, like we have keys to get into the building, not everybody has a key to get into this building. Only the leadership has the keys to get into the building. So there's authority there. Now, if you come over to chapter 18 of Matthew, here's the relationship that he's going to do with, give to the Messianic church Matthew 18 uh, look at verse well verse 15 to get the context here moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother but if he will not hear thee then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established so we're talking about discipline within the church it's interesting, Paul echoes the, the same thing up to this point. Verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So what do they do? They're to go to him and say, Hey, brother, you're in a fault. Here's how you're going to restore yourself. Here's the scriptures, Here's etc. And he, does, he rejects that. Then you go bring in some of the uh, Galatians 6, the spiritual, come in, help him. He rejects that. What, do you, what does Paul say to Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's what they're doing. Now watch verse 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, verse 20 gets abused. We're going to do a healing this or that, and two or three are named. Uh, it was once said that when two or three are gathered, take up an offering, <laughs> you know. 
because God isn't working that way today. But the thing of it is, is again, notice, he's talking to the Messianic church, the little flock here, and how they're going to function. That's where the ye is. Uh, we were talking about Bibles. The the and the ye. The wonderful thing about Bible English and the English of the Elizabethan age is that you have this ability to put a difference between the second person singular, the the, and the second person plural, the ye. Now, when you come into our English today, you, you struggle with that. See, if I said you, am I talking to Bruce or am I talking to, or am I talking to the group? See, we, now we have to listen to more triggers to, to figure it out. But in Scripture, the thee, you, you, Peter, have this authority, and the ye, you guys need a quorum of two or three to do any business, to, do, to get anything done. Peter, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the stone. You're going to be Cephas. You're going you're gonna to be the guy that has the authority. Then to the group, what you're going to need is you're going to need a quorum. Again, verse 20 is not a prayer promise, but rather it's a statement about how, how to take action when it's really, in the context, it's disciplining someone in the church, settling the quarrels. So what do they need? They need this system set up. So when he surnames Peter, Cephas, John 1 is the prediction Matthew here, he's actually going to get there. It's because, Pete, you're going to be the leader of the 12 apostles. And you're going to function in that very special position of leadership among the apostles. Paul calls him the chiefest of the apostles. He is... Cephas. That's why Paul refers to him not as Peter, but as Cephas. Why? Because he's in that highest rank there. And in 1 Peter, it's very fascinating. Look over there at 1 Peter. Um, actually, I think it's in 2 Peter. How he says this. Um, well, maybe it is 1 Peter. Let me find it. Yeah, 1 Peter 5, I think it is. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, that, the, the scattered little flock there. Then he comes down through chapter 5, verse 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed and so forth. And you know what happens when he says there, the elders, that, okay, the, 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 the leadership, but then he says, who am also an elder? That's an age reference. Because who is Peter? In 1 Peter, he's the apostle. He's the chief. He's still going. He's still in, in, in activity. Then you come down into 2 Peter, and he again, he says, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them, and off he goes. 
And then in chapter 3, verse 1, this second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And he's going to remind them because he's going to do what? He's going to die off. And now you've got Paul on board. So you've got Peter has had the Galatians 2 meeting, Acts 15 meeting, where he has given Paul the right hand of fellowship. And by binding that agreement that Paul would go to who? The heathen, they would go to the circumcision. He invokes Matthew 16, 19, and he binds that agreement. But by binding that agreement that Paul is now the spokesman for God, he just what? He looses himself from his own apostolic position. You follow that? So there's, there's a lot going on w- with this. Uh, again, he, verse, uh, <clears throat> well, anyway, go back to, to uh, Ma- Mark 3. So he surnamed Peter because he's going to now be the leader, Mark chapter 3, of the 12. And he's ultimately the head, the leader of the little flock, but the 12 are the leadership, not just Peter. Peter is the head. It's kind of like the, the 12 is the board, and Peter's the chairman of the board, <laughs> okay? That's kind of the idea there. All right, now you have the other James and John, and they've been surnamed the Sons of Thunder. And when you think about thunder in the Bible, come back with me to Job 37. It, it is used as a representa- representative of the voice of God. Uh, Job 37. So they're going to be called the sons of thunder. And they're going to speak a- as, they, as the voice of God. So they have a special kind of relationship now in communicating God's message. And again, we're talking about service. That's what we're after here. That's what Mark is after. That's what Luke, or I'm sorry, Luke and Acts is, or in, when he writes Acts, is after. There's service going on here. Uh, Job 37, just look, notice here verse 1. By the way, Peter, James, and John are the big three that are, seem to always be with the Lord everywhere he goes. And uh, uh, one commentary said that's because they were the three hard-headedest of the group and needed special attention. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. But they're always, why? Because you've got the leader and then you've got the spokesman. James... Uh, Job 37.1, At this also my heart trembleth, and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice, and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directed under the whole heaven, and his lightning under the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which he cannot 
comprehend. So come on over, come back to John 12. So when God speaks, it's like what? It's like thunder. So the sons of thunder is this special relationship in communicating God's voice, his message. John chapter 12. Look, if you will, John 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. So the Lord's praying here. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. By the way, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Notice the people, what did they hear? They heard thunder. So here you have Christ and the Father talking. The only one that can understand what the Father says is the Son. Everyone else, what they hear? Thunder. So there's this issue of the thunder. Come over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. You've got, <clears throat> by the way, look in Acts 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts 9. You have Saul of Tarsus, uh, the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus. Okay? And if you notice verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So when they heard the voice, what did they hear? Thunder. If you come, if you come over to Acts 22 and look at verse number 9, Acts 22, 9, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. Uh, Paul's recounting his conversion to the Jews. And, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So when Paul, on the road to Damascus, stopped in the way by the light there, when the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The only one hearing the voice, the word spoken was Saul. Everybody else is laid out flat on the ground, and all they hear is thunder. Or John 12, as an angel spoke. But they don't understand what's being said. Now, go to Acts chapter 12. Because something's going to happen in Acts 12 that's going to remove one of the components and require uh, a new one to be added to. Well, I'm sorry, not a new one, because he's added because of uh, Judas Iscariot. So forget this. Okay? But watch Acts 12, verse 1. Now about the, the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So the church here, that's the Pentecostal church, Acts 2, they've been going 
right along. And Herod reaches out, and who does he kill? He kills James. He's silencing God's voice. Now think about this. God's been speaking through the little flock, through the apostles. The, the, the Pentecostal church has been growing. They've gotten to a point where they're a great multitude, chapter 6. All this is going on, and the political leaders, they are just like when the wise men showed up and said, where's king of the Jews, you know, and all, where's Bethlehem and all this stuff? They are livid. They don't like it. So what's Herod do? He kills one of the leaders, James. But in doing that, he's silencing God's voice. Now, how do you know that? Look down at verse 21, or turn the page to verse 21. Because here's Herod. <clears throat> verse 21. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an or or oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, now watch, it is the voice of a God and not a man. What did Herod want? He wanted to be in the realm. He wanted to be the, speak, the spokesman for God. He, wanted, he killed James, the son, one of the sons of thunder, so that he could take his place and then do what? Speak for God. And that's what the people are saying there. Now, watch what happens, verse 23. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. What did they do? Here he is. He's the voice of a little G, by the way. Okay? And what, is, what was God's response? The big G got him said, you're not my spokesman. So James here, he's one of the 12. He's killed. Uh, come back up to verse 3. And Herod, in a picture here, he's trying to silence the voice of God he's tr that's been speaking through that little flock, and he's trying again to vex it. Now watch verse 3, 12 verse 3. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. It, ple it pleased the Jews that he, what did he do? He killed James. He silenced the, one of the, voice, the voice of God. They didn't want to hear God's message to them any, anymore because they were rejecting it. So politically and religiously, they didn't want the message of God and so he says, man, that worked so good with James. Let's go get Peter. So he goes after Peter. Now, verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four uh, uh, quatrains of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came up upon him, and light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. I, could you imagine getting kicked in the ribs by an angel? 
because that's, you know, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hand, and off he goes. So Peter's in prison. By, by the way, you see where it says there that he was between two guards, two soldiers, bound with two chains? When Paul is bound to the centurion headed for Rome there and later in Acts, that's what it looks like. Paul and the Roman centurion, they are bound together. Now, I could only imagine what that guy got an earful from the, from the apostle, okay? But the thing is, is here's the picture. So Peter is in prison. God sends an angel, gets Peter out. Why? Well, God's not done with Peter. Or John yet, either. James, he's done with. But Peter and John, they still have ministry to carry out. They, they still have some things to do. Who wrote the book of the Revelation? John did. So he still has work to do. Okay? Peter, James, and John meet with Paul, Acts 15. By the way, that James isn't this James. That James is the half-brother to the Lord. We would say he's the pastor of the Jerusalem church, okay? He's one of the leaders, but he's not an apostle. He's, if, if you look there at James 1, the, it's fascinating. Hebrews, the author is God. We don't know who the human author is. Then James 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So who's James written to? Not the church, the body of Christ, but to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So here's the leadership of the Jerusalem church. Then you've got the apostle, then you've got first, second, and third John. So now you have the apostle John right, and then you have Jude. And uh, Jude, he's the brother of James from verse 1 there, one, Jude 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James to them that are, that's who he is. And then you have the revelation, and that's, there's John, the apostle John as well. So John still has work to do. Peter still has work to do. John is, uh, by the way, the, his name John means uh, Jehovah is gracious. And he's not through with him. So you can't kill him yet, Herod. <laughs> it's not time yet. So he has, still has uh, a really, literally, a writing ministry. He still has a ministry in writing to be the voice of God. But we're going to do it with a pen now. Peter, though, still has ministry to do. You're in Acts 12, maybe not, maybe go back there uh, to Acts 15. Um, you know what, actually, go get Galatians 2. Let's just do it from Galatians 2. Because Galatians 2 is Paul's perspective of Acts 15. Acts 15, you've got Peter, James, they get together. Galatians 2, verse 1, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation. Paul goes to Jerusalem because Christ told him to go to Jerusalem. All right? So 
great argument about how did Paul get there. Well, how does Paul say he got there? He went up by Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's going to go now. He's going to tell them about this new revelation, this new ministry, this new message. And when he gets there, he's going to have, there's going to be Jane, P, Cephas, verse 9, Galatians 2, 9. And when James, that's the brother of the Lord, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars. So you've got Cephas, there's Peter, and then you've got John, there's the guy right, you know, he's still there, the voice of, the, of God, and now you've got James. But what is Peter going to do? Well, they're going to give, uh, verse 9, perceive the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they under the circumcision only they would that we should remember the poor the same which I also was forward to do it's very fascinating that the only thing Peter and the guys asked him to do wasn't to keep the Ten Commandments wasn't to do AB, you know whatever the law required it was just remember the poor guys because what's happened in Jerusalem now we learn from Romans 15, we have the poor saints at Jerusalem because what's happened? They're under the Acts ministry. They're selling everything they have, bringing it to the feet of the apostles. Now the Lord just changed the, the message and the ministry right before it was time to pour out the wrath. He pours out his mercy and his long suffering. So where does that leave these people? They don't have anything, so he takes up the collection and so forth. So James and John and, and Peter here, they come in and they endorse Paul's ministry. So now Paul has the endorsement of the Jerusalem saints and 11 of the apostles through the, through the position of Peter as the head. And his ministry now Paul's ministry has been validated. Come over to 2 Peter. Again, we were just there, but to 2 Peter. As Paul says, the agreement was, I'm going to the heathen. The heathen are all of the unsaved of the world, including the unsaved component of the nation of Israel. In Acts 7, when Stephen says, you are uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, God Almighty, through the mouth of, Pete, of Stephen, through the pen of Luke and Acts, again, that's why Acts is a, it isn't the history of how the church got started. It's rather a written indictment that Israel failed once again. They had a renewed opportunity under the ministry of the apostles and that little flock. They rejected it. Now they're going to have another opportunity under Paul's ministry, and they're going to reject it. So if you strike out with the Lord, strike one, the 12 in the little flock strike two, Paul strike three, you're done. <laughs> in baseball, that means you're out. And that's what it is. And what Acts does is Acts says, look, they have the opportunities. They failed, so God is just. 
he is righteous in taking salvation to the Gentiles apart from the nation of Israel. And we have to remember, and sometimes I don't think we do, but maybe you do, hope you do, the Old Testament, the Abrahamic covenant given to Abraham was that his family, his seed would be a blessing to the families of the earth. The goal in the old is to bless the Gentiles, but they're going to do it through God's nation. Well, now that nation has what? One, two, three. By the way, they killed the father in the person of John the Baptist. They killed the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they kill Stephen, and he represents the Holy Spirit. So again, three strikes and you're out. And then the Lord in his mercy says, okay, one more bite at Paul, because you get another chance, because Paul's now going to come and talk to the heathen. That includes you guys. Peter then goes to the circumcision. He's going to now go to the little flock. And, and there, he's now going, Second Peter here, he's going to explain to them why their program hasn't come to fulfillment, hasn't come to pass yet. If you look, you're in Second Peter 3, look back there at chapter 1, just real quick here to kind of catch this. Verse 15, Peter writes to them, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, there's the verse I was looking for, to have these things always in remembrance. What does Peter know? He's going to die. For we have not followed cunning devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the mount, in the holy mount. So that's uh, Matthew 17, mountain of transfiguration. Now watch verse 19. We, also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What's happening here, basically Peter starts 2 Peter and he says, look guys, I know... Chapter 3 now, I know that there's a delay, but we did not lie to you about the coming fulfillment of our program. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Yes, we are an eyewitness of that, of that end event, Mount Transfiguration, but we got prophecy. We got a sure word of testimony here. We're not lying to you at all. By the way, who was on the Mount Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. There they are. Now look at chapter 3, notice verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and, and, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, by the way, that's a lie. Because after creation, Genesis 6, there's a little guy called Noah. And the Lord did what? Destroyed the earth. So things haven't been the same since creation. <laughs> okay? So, they, again, they're, they're talking out of the, their, their, their side of their mouth there. For this they are, uh, verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the wa world that then was being overflowed with water what perished 
there's the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The explanation of why the delay is God's long-suffering in verse 9. The scoffers are going to say, it's been the same thing since day one here. What's going on? We, uh, where is he? And that, that issue there of count one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years, that is not a timing thing. That is, hey, the Lord made a promise over here of coming back, the sure word of prophecy, whether it's today or a thousand years from today, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come to fruition. It's going to come to pass. Now, he says the delay is because of the long-suffering to usward. Now, drop down to verse 15. Watch him explain where to go to understand the long-suffering. Verse 15. And an account, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. You, want to understand, you know what Peter's saying? Guys, if you want to understand the long-suffering, you need to go read Paul. In verse 16, by the way, when you read Paul, the rest of that verse, in which are some things hard to be understood. Could you imagine being a Jew in the first century? You've been king of the rock, king of the hill for 2,000-something years, and all of a sudden now you're told that circumcision availeth nothing, Galatians. That your religion is nothing. What avails Christ today is a new creature. Now, would that be a little hard for a believing Jew to catch? I think so. But by the way, only Paul can say that. Philippians, Paul is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a, he's a great guy to be able to be the representative here in this. But he, then he says, Peter goes on there in verse 16, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Wrestle, twist it all up. In essence, what Peter is saying there is 2 Timothy 2.15. You need to study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what Peter's saying. Guys, you, you want to understand the long-suffering, you need to go read Paul. But when you read Paul, you need to make sure you remember he's talking to the church, the body of Christ, not to you and I, and don't get all twisted up over the bu that book of Galatians. I could just see Peter going, can I just say don't get twisted up with Galatians? <laughs> or, or Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is where we're at now, starting that third section in Romans Sunday morning, you know, Sunday school. Don't get stuck there. Pay attention. So Peter is not done. 
also, just by the way, in the book of Acts, oh my, it's all time to quit. Look at that. In the, in the book of Acts, the last time we see Peter is Acts 15, where he's endorsing Paul's ministry. Now come over to Revelation 1, because here's John. Do this, and then that went really fast. Oh, I didn't even look at the back wall. I'm looking at you guys. Look at, here's John. So the three, Peter, James, and John, they're surnamed. They have special ministries to perform and to get done. That's why Mark pulls them out, that issue of service. Look at Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, also who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. Why was he on the isle of Patmos? He wasn't exiled. Why is he there? What's the verse say? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's there as the sons of thunder to do what? Get the word of God. The word of God and the testimony of Jesus. To get some information. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. John was literally transported in a prophetic vision from first century out to future of us. Called the day of the Lord. And he gets the description of the last days, and he's to, verse 19, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So John goes to get the last words about the details of the last day. So these three, special ministry, Peter, you're the head, you're the leader, you're the main guy. James and John, you're going to be speaking for God. James gets silenced. That demonstrates Israel's rejection of God's word and their love for Herod, who, by the way, is one of the 18 major types of the Antichrist. And as he spoke great swelling words against God, what does John see? the last days, and the end result of all of it. So when we come back to Mark 3, we'll pick up and carry on in, in the passage, just kind of doing a side here this evening. There's a reason why they're in this order of Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew, and that's because of their activity and who they're going to be and the roles that they're going to play. And again, down here in the subs, when they there's just issues of rank and authority and things that will be doing in the book itself in other places. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word and the ability to read it and to study it and to love it and to enjoy it and then to apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.